couple weeks ago, we had the men's retreat, which was lots of fun. Um, And one of the things we knew we were going to do is we were going to play, we were going to have some activities that we could do as part of this, uh, the the fun part of the weekend. And one of the things we were going to do is play basketball. And I like to play sports, but I like to play pickup sports. So uh, it was good. But I hadn't played basketball in, I don't know, at least a decade. Uh, But I decided I'm going to play basketball. And not only was I like, oh, okay, and I remember people were like, okay, you know, but if you play basketball and you haven't played in a while, you could twist your ankles, you can do some bad stuff. So I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull out my old basketball shoes and, and see if they look good, and I'm going to wear those. That'll help me play basketball better, right? So I went in, I found my old basketball shoes, and they looked pristine. Like, they looked really good. I was like, all right, I think I'm good. You know, I put them on, like, yeah, they still feel fine. They still feel good. Everything looked like they're great. So I went to play basketball. And I'm playing basketball on, with the guys. And as I'm playing basketball, all of a sudden I started like, what, what's wrong with my feet? And I, I looked down, and I started to see that one of my shoes, the, the, the bottom of the shoe literally was coming off the shoe. And I was like, well, that's not good. And then I was thinking, well, you know, we're only playing to five points. So I think I can, I can manage, right? I can just sort of get this, then I can switch over to my non-basketball shoes, and it'll be good. But we really weren't that good, so five points took like 40 minutes, you know, for us to score. So as we're playing, all of a sudden, it went from like a little bit of there to literally the shoes started to disintegrate on my feet. It's just like pieces of it were falling everywhere. And then all of a sudden, I just had to say, okay, I'm out. There's literally nothing on my foot anymore. Um, and I was with the one shoe, and then walking back towards the place, the other shoe started to fall apart too. And I was like, okay, clearly looks can be deceiving here. This old shoe that I thought was great and everything was good has actually not stood the test of time, did not make it, and completely disintegrated on me. So that was my experience with that shoe. I changed shoes and I played again and it was okay. But today we're going to look at how... I think for a lot of us, our faith can be like those shoes. That we've had an old faith that we haven't really tested, haven't really worked on, and we're not sure it's going to stand the test of time. And so we're going to look at what does it look like to have a faith that lasts today. And so we're going to look at Mark uh, chapter 14. And we're picking it up here. We've been in Mark this whole time. Um, Jesus has already been in Jerusalem, and he's been staying in Bethany um, as part of this time. He has friends in Bethany, and he's leading up to his uh, death and resurrection and all of that. Uh, But he's there in Bethany. And so we're going to look at uh, this passage. We'll start here in verse 1 of chapter 14. So it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, that is Jesus, by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So we'll just pause here for a second. This means they've already decided somehow we're going to kill him, but we've given up on trying to kill him right now because there's no way we can get to him. But And while Jesus was at, at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. 
And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been bored. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And we'll pause there. So, so what we see here is happening, and um, like Mark often does as we've been following this, is there's kind of two stories, two, two sort of pictures of followers of Christ in this. Okay, one, we've got the woman who we know from John's passage of this story is Mary. And you've got the disciples and specifically Judas on one side. All right, so what, what we see here is, is what we know is both of these people have been following God for, for following Jesus for a very long time. They, they've seen God do many things. Uh, Mary probably a little less than probably the disciples, the twelve and Judas, because they went everywhere with him. But Mary still would have seen quite a few things, experienced quite a few things. She would have experienced the resurrection of Lazarus and all the meaning of that, that her brother rose men. So Jesus means a lot to her. She's seen God do a lot of things. But Judas has also seen a lot of good things that God's done. Not only that, but Judas is one of the twelve, which means that we know that Judas is part of the people that God has sent out to do miracles. So Judas has not just seen Jesus do miracles and seen God do good things, but Judas has actually been somebody who's taught the things of Jesus. He's proclaimed who Jesus is, and he's done miracles in the name of Jesus. He's experienced all those things. So this is one of the 12. This is one of the most close 
potentially intimate people with Jesus. That's who Judas is in this picture. But what's fascinating about this story and how this plays out is Judas is one of the twelve, supposed to be one of the most intimate people with Jesus. But his response in this is very different than Mary's. See, Mary comes, and we don't know exactly what is motivating Mary in this moment. We're pretty sure, based on all the ways that all the followers of Christ are depicted in describing what happens when Jesus dies, that none of them really get, even though Jesus says, I'm going to die, none of them really grasp that concept. So when Mary comes and is anointing Jesus with this thing, there's just something that's stirred in her heart that says, I have to show my affection, my love for Jesus right now. I just, I, I can't hold this in anymore. I've got to come do this thing. And so she pours out her love, shows her affection by pouring at this very costly um, ointment and anoints Jesus. But Judas sees this experience and he's there and he's not like, good about that. He's indignant. And it's actually not just Judas that's indignant. A lot of them are like, this is such a waste of money. What is going on? But for Judas, the indignant goes from just indignant to be like, that's it. I'm betraying you. I'm turning you in. It's like, that's it. That's the last straw. But I think if we think that Judas is just doing this because he's greedy, I think we're missing something. I don't think you go from like, hey, I'm an intimate follower, I've performed these miracles, I've done all this stuff, and now I'm going to get 30 pieces of silver and, and that's going to make me betray you. I think it's somewhere along the line here that Judas's faith is just worn, worn away. And he's got to a place where now this act is just, it's the last thing that he's just decided, I'm going to do it. I'm going to betray him. I'm going to turn him in, get some money. And that's what I'm going to do. And it's very different experiences here. And I think the thing is, as we look at this story, I think it would be the height of arrogance for us if we didn't realize that any of us could be Judas. That any of us could be a person who our faith along the way has worn out and doesn't stand the test of time. Okay? So, as we look at this, I think we can see in this here from Mary, a couple of things that actually help us to make sure that our faith will last. And I think, honestly, one of the things that we see with Mary here that I think is actually, if you're going back to my shoe here, the reason my shoe fell apart is the glue completely, obviously, didn't stick anymore, so it all just fell apart. I think often the glue for our faith that creates a faith that lasts is our intimacy with Christ. If we have intimacy with the Father and with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it is intimacy with Him that will keep us, keep coming back, keep us with a fresh relationship with Jesus, keep us in a place that no matter what comes our way, not that we're going to be perfect all the time, but that we're going to keep coming back to Him. And not allow life and situation and just time to erode the foundation of our faith so that it just disintegrates. So the first thing I think we see here with Mary that cultivates an intimate relationship is kind of humble vulnerability. 
I think when you see this act from Mary, this is not just like a private act. This isn't just like she came to Jesus and was like confessing her love for him and saying like, oh, I love you, Lord. You're so great. It's not even like just her family where she said like, oh, Jesus, come over here. I, I want to do this thing. She didn't look for some quiet moment where no one was around. There are people here. There's the disciples here. There are people that are surrounding this moment and she's coming in this moment exposing herself before all these people to display the level of her love for Jesus. This is a humble, vulnerable moment for her and she doesn't necessarily know how everybody will respond. And so she's just decided, I I love God so much in this moment that I am willing to be to humble myself and put myself in a place of vulnerability before other people and before Jesus in order to show my love for him. And so she exposes herself in that kind of way. And that's really often very difficult. <laughs> to be humble and vulnerable is a very difficult thing to do. It would be much easier for her to like wait for a different moment when no one else would be around. And then say, okay, I love you this much, I'm going to do this. That wouldn't necessarily take away from the love. But I think if we really want to have an intimacy with Christ, I think there comes with it this aspect of are we willing to be humble and vulnerable before Christ? Now, the thing with humble vulnerability is there's an aspect of this that could just be like, hey, am I willing to be humble with the Lord? Like, am I willing, just me and Him, am I willing to open up my heart before Him and say, hey, this is who I am, this is how much you mean to me, or this is how much you don't mean to me right now, and I want you to mean more to me, but here's where I am, and I'm trying to work on this, or can you help me? And there's a just us and God piece that says, here I am, humble and vulnerable before you, that helps cultivate intimacy. But I also think there's a a need to be able to be humbly vulnerable around other people, just like Mary does. We're in our pursuit of our love for Jesus, that we are willing to be humble and vulnerable around other people if that's what it takes for us to pursue Christ. And I think that's often another thing that it's hard for us. It's hard for us to be willing to be humble and vulnerable in front of other people, even if what we're trying to do is to follow God and to pursue God and to love God. But maybe that act of love seems like, mm, I'm not sure how other people will think about me, so I'm not sure I'm going to do that. But I think when we choose out of what God is calling us to or what God is asking us to, what our hearts feel like we need to do in a moment to express our love for Christ, and we choose not to do it because we're not willing to be humble or vulnerable around other people, then really what we're doing is saying, well, actually, I do love you, Jesus, but I actually am more concerned about what other people think about me than my love for you. So I'm choosing what other people think about me over my love for you. And what that does is, even if we're not thinking that consciously in our heads, what that does is to erode our actual intimacy. I mean, it's like if I tell my wife, oh, I love you and I want to be with you. And she's like, okay, great, we have a time. And then I'm like, well, actually, some guys asked me to do something else. And I don't even, you know, but I, I didn't want to say no to them. So I'm going to say no to you. And my wife would be like, what are you talking about? We got a plan. Like, that would be very obvious to her. Like, if, if you, then you're saying no to me. And that hurts our relationship. See, when we aren't willing to be 
vulnerable to pursue God because of what other people might think, we are saying yes to them and no to God, which erodes our intimacy. So the first thing we see here is, I think, just humble vulnerability. I think the second thing we see here is, is sacrifice. It says here that she has very costly ointment. Um, and from what we know, this is probably in like a jar that you break. It's not like, you know, it's not like now where she could just screw it back up and be like, I poured a little and then it's it and I have the rest for me. I mean, this is a one-time deal. It's like you use it and that's it. And the 300 denarii there and some of the notes, it says one denarii was probably like a day's wage. So this is basically like a year's wage. Year's livelihood in one loving act. I mean, this is a big deal. This is a costly thing that she's doing here. I mean, it's such a costly thing that the disciples are indignant. They're like, oh my goodness. Like, they're astounded. They're not just like, oh, okay, okay, great. She's, she's anointing with oil. And they're like, what are you doing? I mean, you can kind of see this here. They're literally, the disciples are basically like, no, 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 stop, please don't do that. What are you, what are you doing? That's a waste. Don't, don't pour out that much on Jesus. I mean, that's literally what they're saying. Don't, don't, don't do that. We could use that in another way. We'll, we'll get some less good oil and we'll anoint him, you know? Like, but don't use the good stuff. But for Mary, her love for Jesus and her gratitude for all that he had done in her life was so high that for her she knew to love you right, I have to give you my best. I have to give you all of this. And so she takes the best thing that she has and breaks it and pours out a year's worth of salary on Jesus to anoint him. And the fragrance filled the room. This was a costly act for Mary. And I think the thing is, if we're going to cultivate intimacy with Jesus, anytime you're in a relationship with anyone, there's always a price to pay. Being intimate with somebody means that you have to give of yourself. You have to give up things that you want. You have to be willing to do things with them and for them that creates that intimate relationship and be a part of that. And so we have to be willing to sacrifice to have intimacy with Jesus. That's just part of what it really looks like. You have to be willing to give of yourself and give up the things that maybe God asked you to give up to have an intimate relationship with Him. Sacrifice is part of cultivating intimate walk with our God. And again, I... I think sacrifice is probably one of the like biggest no-nos in our culture of like, no, we don't do that. Like we just get what we want. I mean, that's what we get what we want when we want it and we want it now, so that's what we do. That's our culture. So sacrifice is not something we really talk about, and yet the reality is if we want to have a truly deep, intimate walk with Jesus, you have to be willing to sacrifice for him. Now, I think the story of Mary here even shows us that that act of sacrifice, is, it's not coming out of obligation. 
It's not coming out of duty. It's not coming out of like somebody told you you've got to do this. This whole story for Mary is coming out of a place where out of deep love and affection for Jesus, she feels prompted and like, I've got to do this. And so she does it even though it's costly. Right? It's something coming out of her. It's not something that she feels like somebody said, you have to do this. But it is costly. One of the questions I wonder for us is, are there things that the Lord is asking us to give him? Or give up for him? That maybe we're not willing to give. And in our refusal to sacrifice, we're robbing ourselves of an intimate walk with Jesus. Intimacy needs sacrifice. I think the last thing we just see is to cultivate intimacy like this, there's there's risk involved. This whole act of Mary's is a risk. She doesn't know what's going to happen. She doesn't know how she's going to be treated. She's got to know in her heart, in her head, at some point, like, I mean, this is like a big thing. I'm pouring this out. This is a lot of money. This is not like a, you know, it's all going to be there in her mind. What are other people going to think? What are they going to do? That's going to be all there in her mind. But she takes the risk anyway and says, I'm going to follow through. And do this because I love Jesus. And I want to show him how much I love him. And so she goes with this, but there's a risk. And we see that the risk was real. I mean, the disciples there are not just like saying, why did you do this? They're, they're actually like rebuking her harshly. They're basically saying, like, how, would you, like, how dare you? What are you doing? They're, this is not like they're treating her nicely. They're actually rebuking her harshly, and she's being treated harshly for her act of love that is a risk for her. And if Jesus doesn't step in in this moment and say, dude, leave her alone. If Jesus doesn't stand up and just say, leave her alone, she's doing a beautiful thing, what she leaves from that moment with is a rebuke. And a community coming around her and saying, you've done it wrong. That's what she would leave with. Often when we are pursuing Christ in an intimate way, it's risky. And not everyone is going to respond in a way around us that makes sense or that we like. Or that even is might not even be godly. Even if you're trying to be there, and this is the commun- this is the twelve. Remember, this isn't like the Pharisees who are like, "Oh my goodness!" No, this is the twelve, the most supposedly intimate people with Jesus, looking at this act and berating, rebuking a woman who's trying to follow the promptings of her heart to show the love of show her love for Christ. And in that moment, she's getting rebuked. There is risk here for her in this whole act. And yet I love what Jesus says because he says, no, she's followed me. She's poured out her love for me. And everywhere, everywhere the gospel is preached. 
she will be honored for this act. Because she's chosen me. See, the difference in these stories is Mary was consumed by her love for Jesus. And so she's willing to be humble and vulnerable. She's willing to sacrifice. She's willing to take the risk. And somewhere along the line, that intimacy for Judas had gone away. And so instead of willing to be humble and vulnerable, sacrifice, take a risk for Jesus, he decides, I'm going to turn him in. I've had enough. I'm going a different way. When we lose our intimacy with Christ, our faith begins to erode. The thing with intimacy with Christ, with all these things, though, is uh, it's often not just some big moment. It's often just little moments, little things along the way where we feel the prompting of our heart, the prompting of the Holy Spirit calling us into something more, something better, pursuing Him more. And we have opportunities all the time to say yes to Him or to just let it go. So um, a couple, actually, I'd say the last year or so, um, I have been feeling like in my life, like, not that everything was like horrible or anything, but I just felt like, hey, I feel a little stuck. Like I feel like spiritually, I'm not really where I want to be. I don't feel like I'm as close to Jesus as I would like. I don't feel like my heart is as full of him as I, I would like it to be. So I had been feeling like that. And in my small group in different places, I've been praying. I can be like, yeah, just pray for me. I feel like I want more of God. And I, I, I know the Bible reading and the prayer and some, I'm just doing some of the, you know, I'm doing those things, but it just felt like I wasn't getting where I wanted. I didn't feel like my, my walk was as intimate with Jesus as I would like. Okay. So for about a year, I've been kind of feeling that tension of like, okay, I don't really know what's going on, but I, I want this. And then a couple months ago, um, a different church that was going to put on uh, the soul care conference uh, they asked, hey, there's this deliverance part, uh, which is talking about casting out demons. They said, we need people to help do this. Um, would you ha- be willing to help be part of that? And I said, uh, sure, I've never done that, but I'll be willing to do that, uh, I guess. Is there training? And they're like, yeah, you can just watch this training. I'm like, hey, great, I'll, I'll do that and figure out what's happening. So I remember I'm watching the training because it was online training. I couldn't watch it live. So I'm watching the training, and I'm just, you know, looking to, get knowledge, information, so I could actually do this later. But as I'm watching the training and the, the guys teaching about deliverance ministry, about how some of these things work and who might need deliverance and all this kind of stuff, and in the back of my mind, you know, I've been for a year, I've been thinking, hey, I don't feel like I, I'm where I'm at intimately with Christ. And as I'm watching the training, all of a sudden as he's describing things, I feel the Spirit in me, you need to do this. And I thought, yeah, God, I'm, I'm going to go do the ministry. And, and he was like, no, no, you, you need to get deliverance done on you. And I was like, huh, okay, that's a new one. Um, so I kind of wrestled with that for a bit. And then I had in my mind this thought that, like, I'm kind of stuck. And I have this thought, like, you know, all right, I feel like I need to get 
deliverance done on me, maybe. And I kind of felt like, oh, I think these might be related. I think maybe that my intimacy with Christ is being blocked, and maybe there's something that needs to happen in my heart that hasn't happened yet, and maybe it's demonically related. So I said, okay. So then I knew very clearly what I needed to do. I was like, I need to write the other group of people, which are other pastors and other people who are on this list, to say, hey, they say in the training that we should, you know, at least try this at some point before you do it at the thing. So I initially said, I knew, I was like, I should just volunteer to say, hey, could we do me first? Um, I'll be the guinea pig for the group. Um, anybody like, hey, could you do that? And yet, while I knew that, I also knew for me in that moment, I'm like, okay, but to do this is me having to acknowledge I might have demonic stuff going on in my life. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for a long time. have to announce that to my peers. Um, have to say, okay, would you then maybe do this? Not even sure what's going to come up in that context, because I had never really experienced this much before. So there's also the fear of like, oh, how is this going to go? What's it going to look like? And so there's this whole wrestling match in my heart for a bit where I was like, I feel like I need to do this if I really want to pursue Jesus. And if I really want to have an intimate walk that I've said I wanted for a long time that feels stuck, I feel like this is a step I need to take. And then in this moment, I felt like, am I going to do this? And I'm wrestling with this. And I was like, yeah, I, 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 I got to do it. So I wrote the email. And then I forgot that our DS, district superintendent, the boss of all the pastors, on this email. So then I was like, oh, great. So then he's like, actually, I have some experience with that. So then he decided he's going to be the guy who leads the deliverance session. And in my head, I'm just like, okay, now I've got to get delivered by the boss's boss. You know, like, that's basically what we're doing here. And yet I was like, I still think I need this because you could call any time. You know, you could just be like, oh, just kidding. I don't think I need that, you know. But I remember we got to the night, and I, and I have all the nerves or whatever, but as we got to that night, and they did it very well, and it was very calm, very good. But I remember even as I sat in that couch that I was at, that I just felt like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen right now. I don't know what's going to come up. I don't know what I might have to confess or whatever. Or I don't know what's going to happen. But in that moment, I just knew this is what I need for more of Jesus. So whatever you need to do, just do it. Because I want to love my God. And I want to experience more of him than I have right now. And so we did the process. And they cast things out. And I have been freer and more closer to Jesus in the last three months, four months, whatever it's been now, than I have probably have been in years. And I wouldn't change it. But it took humble vulnerability in front of my peers and boss's boss. Sacrificed some of my own pride. And took the risk of, I don't know what's going to happen. But I wouldn't take it back. Because my intimacy with the Father has gone up. And my faith will last longer. I'm not telling you this story to say everybody needs deliverance. It's not really about the deliverance. 
My question for us is, what has God been calling you to? Saying, this is what you need for more of me. This is how I'm calling you into more deeper intimacy with me that you've been unwilling to say yes to. That may be a big act, like kind of some deliverance thing like I was talking about. And maybe it's a small thing. Maybe when we're here and we're worshiping and you feel the Spirit tugging you to say, raise your hands. And you're like, ah, I can't do that. Maybe he's asking you to kneel or slinger somewhere. Maybe he's asking you to talk with a friend and say, I just need to tell you and make life confession and confess because I need to get this out in the open. Maybe you need to receive prayer. Maybe just cultivating more time with him. There could be a thousand things that God is calling you to do, but what is he calling you to? How is he inviting you in to a more intimate relationship with him Are you willing to be humble and vulnerable? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to risk it for him? Because if you're not, your intimacy will be hurt. Your intimacy will, the foundation will begin to erode. And with the intimacy goes the glue that keeps your faith strong. My hope for all of us is that as we pursue Christ, we pursue intimacy, and we are willing to do whatever it takes to maintain it, to cultivate it, so that our faith will stand the test of time and not erode, so that we become like a Judas who walks away from our Father. We're going to do is um, I'll welcome the worship team back up but before we take communion and do some of these things I, I just want to give us just a solid minute or two just of some reflection just silence and the question I want us to just dwell on here for a moment is this that question I just said what is God calling you to to be intimate with him that you haven't said yes to yet. So I'm going to open this moment of silence in prayer. And then after that, I'll lead us into some communion. We'll have a response time. But I just want you to listen to this voice of the Spirit. He can and does speak to us. And if there is something you have not said yes to that He wants you to step into, He will reveal Himself to you. So Jesus, Holy Spirit, we invite you here right now. We acknowledge your love for us. And we acknowledge our lack of capacity, our lack of desire to love you that is rampant within our hearts. And God, I ask right now, would you show each of us as we take a moment to listen, would you show each of us If there is something, some way that we have failed to pursue intimacy with you, some way we failed to say yes to you, 
Would you reveal that to us right now as we take a moment to just listen to your voice?